Today on The Full Life, a show that celebrates the new and the old. We talk about the ancient tradition of the Passover Seder and what it means to Christians today. Plus, we highlight ways Christians are evangelizing in new ways. Stay tuned. Different Christian perspectives coming together to have important conversations about our faith and help you live in the fullness of life God wants for you each and every day. This is The Full Life with Joseph Mancuso, Carolyn Pankella, Hank Johnson, and Jenny Stivale. Come join the conversation. And welcome to another episode of The Full Life. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you don't have a faith sharing group, then this is the group for you. This is the show for you because that's exactly what we do every week here. We refine our faith together. We talk about issues of faith and culture, and hopefully by the end, we can enrich each other's lives and get closer to that fullness of life God wants for each and every one of us. As always, we invite you to follow us on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and our audio version of our podcast. And we always start a show with an encouraging word, and today's will come from Carolyn. I think even now, like, I'm overwhelmed with God's love for us, you know, because, you know, when he was in uh, Gethsemane and he was, he was crying out, pray, Lord, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. He knew what was getting ready to happen. He was getting ready to take on the sins of the world. My sin. It was everyone's sin, but he prayed it through and he went through, he went through with it. And I think it's his love. It's his love that took him to the cross. It's his love that kept him there. And I just think that is what I get overwhelmed with is that while we were yet sinners, it's that scripture, Christ died for me. Not when I was at my best, not when I was looking the best and out singing in front of 20,000 people in ministry. No, no, no. While I was at my worst, he died for me. And, and what he did for me, he's done for everyone. I think that is the message for me is his love is so great. You know, it's that whole thing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He is enough. And uh, I think that's what I get overwhelmed with um, during this season is his love. God, when you were born, he had a plan. He had a purpose. You're not a mistake. And that is just my prayers that you just today through what we're even saying that You would just feel us jumping out of the screen saying you are loved. And I know that the enemy wants to tell you that you're not. And I want you just to remove all that. Get into the moment that we're in and allow yourself to feel. Allow your, not up here, but in here. Just to feel his love because it's real. As we know, the Great Commission is to go out and tell the good news, but the same ways we've been doing it before may not be as effective in today's communication. That's why we want to highlight on this show some innovative evangelizers in this new segment that I call the Innovangelizers. 
See? You're hysterical. <laughs> You're very funny, Joe. That's all. That's all I wanted. And with that said, let's bring on today's Innovangelizer. Paul McNard is a husband and father who runs the social media account, Sketchy Sermons, where he draws interesting people who say interesting things. The primary purpose of Sketchy Sermons is to honor Jesus while exploring ideas and thoughts around faith. And what started as a place to post weekly sermon notes has turned into a project with over 200 original pieces of art created every year, including some featuring our friend Christina Crenshaw. It continues to grow in new and rewarding ways. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So please welcome our guest, Paul McNard. Hey, thanks for Hello. having me. I, I need to, I'll be right back. I got to add Inno, uh, an evangelizer to my yes. like that. <laughs> with my 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 sketch uh now well let's talk <laughs> about sketchy sermons and tell us the origin of it we started to talk about that in that bio but tell us about how you started this whole thing yeah so sketchy sermons as it is right now it's uh a a kind of daily quote drawing type format um but sketchy sermons started of a number of years ago like three or four years ago uh, when weekly I would take sermon notes uh, at my church, um, but I would add like drawing type elements to it. Um, and then they started getting kind of elaborate. I started posting them on social media um, and it really just kind of took off from there. I had a lot of fun um, exploring new ideas and talking to new people and listening to new sermons, especially when the pandemic broke out. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, everybody's <laughs> church was available to everybody all of a sudden. Um, so I took advantage of that and started drawing people and putting it online. A positive of the pandemic, indeed. Hey, Paul, kind of following up on that, right? You said you started off before where it was your church and your notes and posting online the pandemic, but now you've expanded. So how exactly do you pick your sketches each time? And how do you pick quotes, which people to feature? Can you just talk to us about that aspect of your process? It's it's an amalgamation of different things. Um, sometimes I'll run across people on social media that I really enjoy or that I'm learning something from. Sometimes I'll catch a quote of something uh, that I want to remember. Uh, so I get a lot of recommendations. You know, people will send me uh, pastors or people that they're interested in seeing. Um, and then it's usually every morning I jump into this this giant folder I have on my desktop, which now I think has like over four or 500 different things in it. Um, and I kind of prayerfully try to find something in there uh, that that'll pop out for the day. It, it's, I, I wish I had a good process. Even, even now I've got this like little, little sticky note that's got like six, no, seven things on it to do this week, even though I only have four posts left. So it's <laughs> every week, it's a little bit of a struggle, like who's going to go in where and what, what am I going to do? Um, you know, so it's, it's a lot of prayer. It's a lot of uh, just picking something and going with it for the most part. I'm curious about your faith journey, your personal faith walk and how that sort of influenced your art and the kind of the direction to do this. Yeah. So that that's an interesting one. Cause I've always been a drawer and a doodler. Like this isn't, I'm not an illustrator. I, I never went to school for art or anything like that. I've always, I was always that kid that instead of listening to the teacher talk about math or whatever, I was drawing on the, you know, cover on the book, trying to you know, fill it up and whatnot. Um, so I've always kind of been that person. That's, that's, I guess I have an artistic bent, but I never did anything with it. Um, but I found once I started combining like this artistic bent with my faith, uh, they both kind of grew to be honest. So, you know, I, I was in this point where as a Christian, I was almost kind of on autopilot, you know, where mm -hmm. it's like, 
like, all right, I'm, I'm doing the things I'm doing the serving. I'm, I'm reading the Bible when I need to read it. I'm going to church when I need to go. Um, but then all of a sudden I had this new avenue to really start exploring different areas of my faith that I'd never either looked into, or I kind of took for granted, you know, I'd start out with pastors, you know, learning the different, uh, preaching styles and the different things that they would talk about, but then it kind of moved into different voices online and in print and whatnot. Um, so if anything, it's, it's kind of exploded this whole, uh, the, the amount of content that's out there for a Christian, it's really kind of opened it up. And now just being able to enjoy the different parts. But even, you know, when you start bringing the art into it, it's like, well, what does this mean? How can I illustrate this? What is what is this going to come out as and and whatnot? So, I mean, if anything, it's just it's been a tool for me to explore my faith um, because, you know, sketchy sermons as it is right now is not a an enterprise. Right. It's been more my own personal journey into all these different things. Do you feel like you've learned more of, from the messages? I, I, I'm curious, like while you're listening, because like as a preacher, I don't know if Hank, you've ever experienced this, but I remember being at a church, real kind of hipster church when I was preaching once and <laughs> people are out there the whole time. No one, no one's looking at me. And I see this happening. And finally, I remember saying, am, am, am I boring you all? <laughs> like it was just one of those. And people held up their books with, no, no, we're sketching because we're hipsters. That's what we do. You know, we throw paint on walls while people preach and lions come out of it, you know? <laughs> and, and, but I learned that they were saying that like, that's something the pastor felt like the people engaged more and they were learning from the messages as opposed to tuning out. It was helping them to connect more. Would you say that you were getting more out of the messages by the sketches? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I every now and then somebody will ask me to do a like a speech to to kids about this stuff, kind of teaching them how to do it. And I mean, science will show you like people forget almost I, I, the numbers, I think, are wrong because they're like, oh, people forget 90 percent of what yeah. you said, um, you know, 10 minutes or an hour after you say it. But I'm like, people can listen to a half an hour sermon and I bet you they could not recite three minutes of that sermon an hour after you've heard it. Right. Like, I think it's even worse than 10 percent. <laughs> that make you feel Hank and Jenny, you know, <laughs> I asked them week after week like, remember when we said that scripture last week and everybody's got like, you know, deer in the headlights. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that, uh, yeah, that's and that's the thing. You know, it's funny because it's it's and I don't want to call anybody out. You know, if you're if, if you're the kind of person, you know, a lot of people will sit down in the service and let it wash over them and they'll catch something. And you know what? That's that's beautiful, too. Um, but for me, I, I really wanted to dive into what the preacher was saying at any given moment. I, I enjoy the sermon part of it. I don't post as many of them, though, because they're not as conducive on social media. It's just too much. Like when I would post those, I mean, I would do the whole thing. It'd be like, the pastor, I mean, if they were talking about Rahab, I'd illustrate Rahab. I'd put, you know, all the points underneath. And then and it was it was too much. Nobody, nobody could process it as they're like scrolling through. And I think what you're doing helps people really remember the word better. I think it's powerful what you're doing. Plus, I think that you're you're attracting people who maybe would never read the word because it gets too boring for them. I hate to say I'm not talking the word is boring, but it can be boring sometimes, but I think you're probably making it in a way. And so I'm just wondering in the middle of all of your research of all the sketches that you're doing, is there one certain things or a quote or, or something that really jumps out that impacted you? Man, that's a hard one. Um, like the, the one that, that impacts me as I deal with being online is from Jason Ewart. I, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he's at uh, I think it's Hope Lake Country Church. 
Um, I don't remember the exact quote, but there there's uh, Michael Heisman where it was like, yeah. I believe he said, like, if it's in the Old Testament and it's weird, like, pay attention, you know, because <laughs> it's it's ah, that's not the exact quote, but it's pretty close to that. Um, but and, and there was one other and it's it's so hard to pull out, but just it was about having joy in the reading of the Bible, which is something I think we or, or me personally miss sometimes. It's like for a long time, it was a duty, right? Almost like a let me get my time almost like you like the same way you would treat going for a run like oh i got 20 minutes like start you know 20 minutes later i'll stop um but i've really kind of enjoyed that part of just getting in there and like learning new things um and not necessarily for my own self help type reasons but more to just enjoy what's in there cuz it's it's wild and like you were saying about your, your, did you say it was your daughter at, at college? Yeah, yeah ex exactly. Like just that whole idea. Cause I think we're taught, especially in school and especially with note-taking, it's more like, Hey, just remember all these things I said as efficiently you, as you can. Um, but when you take that content afterwards, and this is what I found a lot of times with the sermon sketch notes, it's like, I would take the notes at the time they were saying it, but then I would take it and like reframe it and try to figure out how it all went together and I would ask questions and, you know, it's like, I don't know. I almost feel like that's the learning part right there is, is, you know, the, the preacher put all this stuff together. Yeah. They spent all this time. Now I could take it on my own time and really spend time in it learning, you know, what they were trying to put out there, what God's trying to teach. What is the message you want to leave with people? What do you want them to get out uh, following the feet? My biggest goal in doing all this is to encourage people in their faith. With Jesus Christ, like a hundred percent full stop. Um, I know there's a lot of accounts out there that, you know, do different things, but mine, I would hate for somebody to come there and get discouraged. Not in like, you, you know, not in a, in, in a bad way, you know, like if, if they come and they're like, Hey, I'm going to stop sinning. <laughs> like, like, I don't mean that kind of discouragement, but I, I would hate for somebody to come to my feed and turn around discouraged. Um, you know, so a lot of times the way that I draw things or whatnot, it's like, I just want people to be encouraged to learn more, to explore, to be more open to things, uh, to be kinder to each other. Um, but yeah, a hundred percent is that if somebody came to my feed and was like, what's the message here is that I love Jesus. He's got some great things that are on the page and I hope I can bring them out in the people that are saying them on my feed. Amen. Well, Paul, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks so much for what you're doing through Sketchy Sermons. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. And now from the new to the old, we go back to talk about the traditional Passover Seder. Our very own Jenny can take us through it and talk about what Christians can see through those ancient Hebrew traditions. So, you know, the first thing I want to say, I want to remind, and I know I've said this, said this on the show before, but, and I love my husband always makes this joke, uh, but it's true that Mary was not a Catholic, John was not a Baptist, and Jesus was not a Christian. They were all Jews. We have been grafted in, and we've talked about that here on this program. And that's, I want to say that first, because a lot of people may ask, why does a Christian even need to care about Passover? Why does that matter? So for one is to understand that Jesus was Jewish, and as such, the Last Supper was not the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. It was a Passover Seder. 
it's you can go and read it. He says, I've eagerly, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you when they were preparing for the Passover. Of course, we know the Passover lambs are being slain. And so there is so much about Passion Week that is explained through the Passover. What I like to say about it is that Passover is Passion Week explained, or you could even say Passion Week like exploded, like you understand so much of Passion Week. It, it, communion, the reason we should care about this is communion comes from Passover. The whole setup where he's, he brings the cup in and where he brings the bread in and what the bread actually means. It's not just, hey, here's a piece of bread. It means my body. It means so much more. And you cannot fully appreciate it if you don't understand the Passover because he was introducing all these elements as a part of the Passover Seder. So Jenny, let's start here. What are the traditional elements of the Seder plate? Well, I have my little Seder plate here, my lar large large Seder plate, but I can't hold it up like this with things on it. But you can see there's some writing there in Hebrew and in English. You have the egg. There's a lot of talk about why the egg is even there. The egg is more of a tradition. And a few of the things on here are more like traditions than they that have been over the past several hundred years. Um, but the key elements is, is you do have that. You have the greens, which is like a lettuce, usually a, a piece of like a red leaf lettuce or something like that. It, it can vary. Um, the horseradish, the bitter herbs, um, the harotzi, and then the shank bone. So just, just to kind of go through those real quick, the harotzi is actually everybody's favorite part. Everything else really tastes horrible on the Seder plate, just to be honest, um, except for the harotzi, or some people call it keroset. It looks like keroset. Um, and it's really, if you've had a Seder, gone through Passover Seder, you know this is the delicious part. It's apples and honey and uh, raisins. Some people put dates in it, a little bit of sweet wine, you mix it up. And that's kind of to represent the, um, the bricks when they were, you know, for the, the bricks and the mortar, that's supposedly what it's supposed to represent. So there's all these little symbolic pieces to remember the story of the Passover. Of course, understanding, you know, when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were in bondage, they were in slavery right. and their bondage, you know, got worse. Exodus 1.14 says that their lives were made bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So you have the Horotzi to remember the brick the brick and the mortar. And so that, you know, you, you cut the apples up into like little, little tiny brick pieces. <laughs> it's a lot of work to do, but it's actually fun uh, to do it, especially if you've got kids to do that together. But then you have these, this, this, there's three things that fall under the category of bitter herbs. And that's um, the, the lettuce, like I mentioned, the horseradish, the maror, and then the carpus. So the horseradish again, and the, uh, the lettuce and the carpus are, or, which is parsley, usually use, you use parsley, is to represent the bitterness of slavery, the bitterness of their soul. And so it's a reminder that even though they're free, they were slaves once before. And so it's kind of funny. I think sometimes you think, do you want to remember those things? But God, you know, he, it's funny. There's scriptures that say, make, you know, have no memory of the old things. Look, I'm doing a new thing. But there are other things that God says, I want you to make a remembrance of this. Remember where you were. Remember what you've come from. And, and we have to remember that as believers, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's that memory. So during the Passover Seder, you know, you eat um, the horseradish with the uh, the matzah. Some people like matzah. Most people don't. I find the gluten-free matzah is the best tasting. If you just want a little tip, it is the best one. <laughs> Um, but you eat it with the horseradish and then you put like the lettuce with it. It's really not pleasant, but it, the point of it is to remember the harshness that we had. 
The one I like the most, though, is the carpus, and that's the parsley. I wish I had a little piece of parsley uh, to show you the uh, to represent that bitterness, you know, of slavery. But what you add to that, one other thing you didn't see on that plate is on every table uh, when you go through a seder uh, are bowls of salt water, and the salt water is to represent the tears, the tears that they shed while in slavery, while praying, you know, for God to free them. And so, what you do is they take the carpus, uh, the parsley, and you dip it in the salt water. It's so delicious. Delicious. It's like you can hear everybody groan actually when this part of they put it in their mouth because this is actually terrible. Except for, you know, you'll have one little kid that goes, Oh, I like it. You know, they want something salty, but for the most part, it's pretty terrible. I was um, that little kid. I liked it when you I, probably I was gonna say there's always like one or two kids that are like, I like the salty of that. But it's it's to it's so we taste our tears, we remember our tears again. It's that remembrance of where. Um, we came from. But what I have always found interesting about the carpus is the carpus also is meant to represent the hyssop that they used when when they put the blood on the doorposts okay, of their house. Of course, we know that's what happened with Passover. They used hyssop to put on the doorpost. Well, where else do we hear about hyssop um, in the story of the Passover, I mean, of the Passion, is when Jesus was on the cross. It said that they dipped hyssop into the sour wine and they gave it to him. And we'll talk about that when we talk about the wine. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but really that's a, when they put that in that wine, that's a representation of the hyssop going into the blood of the lamb and being placed, you know, on our doorpost. So like even that was so significant. Um, and so that's one of the things I love um, about uh, the carpus. Also the carpus, um, like I said, represents hyssop and hyssop was used for cleansing. It was a part of um, cleansing the lepers. Um, there's a scripture, Psalms 51, seven, that says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hank knows it. He was like, I know that one. Uh, but the thing I think I love the most about carpus, which uh, is this parsley, is it means bounty. But when you reverse the letters, it actually means slavery. And so you had this slavery that turned into bounty. You also had these people that were bountiful. They increased bountifully. And because they were increasing bountifully, they were put into more slavery. So you see these things go hand in hand, but to remind us that the opposite of, of abundance is slavery. And so you have this reminder for Jewish people to not have an abundance. That's like slavery. That's like going back to that old mindset kind of, you know, where they, where they were in bondage before. And so there's, that is just a really beautiful element. I think that that's in that plate. So there's a lot on there. Of the course, the last one uh, being the most significant, I think, on the plate. And that would be the lamb. I love this part about the lamb. It's just, I love lamb. I love all about it. So um, I just want to, if you'll just share a little bit more on those two main elements of the lamb and the matzah. Well, obviously the key of all those things I mentioned on the Seder plate is going to be the lamb. I mean, that's right. uh, That's the key for the Passover. That yeah. should be key for us with the, um, as, as believers, you know, we know that John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God that takes oh. away the sin of the world, you know? So he was not referring to just any sacrifice. When he said that he was referring to the Passover um, sacrifice, the Passover lamb. And, you know, we get the story of the lamb from um, Exodus chapter 12, which is where we have the story of 
Passover. And it says on verse three, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, that's the month of Nisan, which we actually just entered into. That's right. the first month actually of the biblical year. It's not Tishri and at the same time as Rosh Hashanah. That's a whole other thing. But speak to the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him take it according to the number of persons. Now, verse five, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Verse six, you shall keep the lamb until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And that's where we get the carpus was uh, was the uh, the hyssop that was used to put the blood there. What's so incredible about this story is that we have on the 10th day, they have you have them bringing the lambs into their home. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. God tells them to bring a lamb in their home for four days and live with it for four days. Now, every other sacrifice, they're just to go get the lamb from the flock and take it in and take it to the temple, right? Or the, the priests go and do it. The people don't even get involved. This one, the people themselves have to be involved. They got to take that lamb, that one-year-old lamb, and bring it into their home. For four days, it lives with them. Now, if you've ever had animals come in your home and live with you, you attach to them. Yeah, I have this little puppy and we're, we're attached. It almost seems a bit cruel that God would say, bring this lamb into your home. And then four days later, take it out. Don't just give it to the priest and turn a blind eye. You have to be involved in the death of this lamb. Why? It seems a little cruel. And I believe it's because God wanted the people to always be aware of the sanctity of life. Life is valuable. What we don't understand, like when, when we don't invest in something, when there's not a cost to us, it's not valuable. If we don't actually see, if we don't engage, and that's why God says to them afterwards, you have to eat of this. Your whole family has to eat. It's, you can't just go, okay, the priest will take care of it for me. You know, uh, someone else... You have to actually ingest this. You have to be involved. And they had to be involved in killing this lamb. And so God wanted them to see from the very beginning the value of sacrifice before he ever removed them from the land. And he ever, you know, the exodus happened. They needed to understand the value of a sacrifice. Now, what's cool about this is this. 10 days into the month, on the 10th of the month, the lamb comes in. On the 14th of the month, it's sacrificed. Now, if you do a little bit of math, you'll know, and I wonder how Hank feels about this, but Jesus didn't die on a Friday. It's just not possible. I think we may have talked about that before. It was most likely, you know, it was a Thursday because do some math, Thursday to Friday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday. It's just mathematical question. The only reason Friday became a tradition was because of them calling it a Sabbath and people not understanding Hebrew roots. And they just assumed it was a Friday because it was a Sabbath, but a Passover is a Sabbath as well. So the reason I say the reason that's important is because what do we have four days before Thursday? That's Palm Sunday. Sunday. And it's Palm Sunday. So what you had happening on Palm Sunday was not just this coincidental thing that, oh, Jesus was on a donkey and he's going to ride in Jerusalem and the people are singing Hosanna. The same exact day that the families were taking the lambs into their homes was the day Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and was welcomed into the homes and the hearts of the people. That was happening at the exact same time. What was happening is they were taking the lamb into their home. And four days later, when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed, 
that is when Yeshua was being sacrificed. I mean, this is not, none, nothing Jesus did was coincidental. Nothing was accidental. It was not just free for all. This was exactly at that time. So that's what's so beautiful about the lamb. So obviously so much of this relates back to Jesus or Yeshua as his name would be. But you know, Jesus was also the bread of life, right? He calls himself the bread of life. Lechem lechai means bread of life was born in, we've talked about this, I think, before, Bethlehem, the city Bethlehem, which means house of bread. He was the bread of life, Lechem Lahai, born in Bethlehem. And so he talked about himself being the bread, but he wasn't referring to just any bread. What he's referring to was the bread of the Passover Seder. And what's so interesting about the bread is that it's unleavened, which means, you know, without, uh, leaven represents sin. So we know that that so that was what's really important is that they were to clear all the leaven out of their house. So we know that Jesus was without sin. So the unleavened bread really represents expectation of God acting. But the other thing that's so crazy about the unleavened bread that I just love so much is that there's a, a, a bread uh, sack, basically, that has three uh, compartments. The reason they have three compartments is that at the Seder table, there are three pieces of this matzah. This is the, the, the gluten-free is a little bit uh, crumbly, but there are three that are in one container. I want you to understand that for a minute. The people, the Jewish people that are doing Seder don't even recognize what that is, but all believers know immediately that's the representation of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have at the Seder table, you have, you know, a, an element that will have these three pieces. And what happens at the beginning of the Seder is that there's this section called motzi, uh, Kiddush and motzi. It's a part of every, uh, even Shabbat. But the middle piece, I want you to get this. The middle piece of matzah out of the three, they take the middle piece out. And mine is already broken here. But they take the middle piece, separate it from the top and the bottom. And then they break it. They take this matzah. And they wrap this broken piece in a linen cloth and they hide it away. Now, I want to know if you're getting some of the symbolism. The middle piece is taken. It is broken. It is wrapped in linen and it's hidden away. And whoever finds it at the end of the meal receives a great reward. Now, here's the other amazing thing about the matzah. I want you guys to look at this. There's holes. There's holes. Yes, I see. Two elements to it. There's holes and there are. It's like the yeah, the ribs. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, the lines. (laughs) It's like up and down. Yeah. There are stripes. Oh, stripes. Wow. There's piercings and there's stripes. Matzah is made, and it's been made this way for a long time now, pierced and striped. Why do they do that? Because matzah is not supposed to rise. Oh, whoa. <laughs> they pierce and they stripe it so it doesn't rise. Now, I'm telling you what, if you don't believe by now, every believer needs, every Christian needs to go through a Passover. I mean, this should bring tears to your eyes when you recognize. I know, I feel it every time I teach it. It's so overwhelming that this is a part of this incredible meal, but it was a part of the the Seder, the order of the Seder. Now, I wanna tell you where this comes in, but I know that there's some other elements we should talk about before we do. You've mentioned briefly the wine. Um, So most of us who are are Christians, we're familiar with the cup and what it represents or what we think it represents. But for us, it's usually one cup, right? Depending on your tradition. Um, However, in the Passover, there's four cups of wine. So can you kind of 
explain why four and some of the symbolism there? Okay. Exodus 6, 6 through 7 says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from among uh, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. And I will take you as my people and I will bring uh, be your God. And so you have these four promises that God gives to the people. And that, therefore we have four cups. The first one is uh, the cup of sanctification. And, and that's what goes with, I will bring you out. Sanctified means to be brought out, to be set apart. I will set you apart. And then you have the second cup, which is a cup of deliverance and plagues. The third cup is the cup of redemption, which is uh, where he says, I will redeem you. And then we have the cup of praise. But the Seder begins by lighting candles. And what I love about, you know, you light the candles is, you know, there, Jesus is in everything. He is the light of the world. So we light these candles. The woman brings the light of the candle towards her face. And, and we start this with light coming into darkness. And I just love because that's the story J Jesus, you know, being born the, that the people that were living in the land of darkness, you know, have seen a great light. And then you have this first cup, this cup of sanctification. And so you pour that cup and that's where um, uh, the, the traditional Hebrew prayer is said. Uh, and uh, so we have that. And if you've never seen it, this is our Kiddush cup. But what's so beautiful is a Kiddush cup actually has a, um, a bowl underneath it. And blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, um, who makes wine. And, and then you read the prayer about my cup running over. And so all of a sudden you understand why David prayed that, because the cup running over is about the Kiddush cup, the wine pouring over that you would have an abundance. So you begin with that cup. You have that cup. Um, and then we go into that parsley, the dipping. We recite the story of the uh, the Passover. It's always important to tell the whole story, the whole Megid, you know, the, the story to remember that this chain has not been broken in 3,262 years, that this story has been told over and over again. From there, we go into these four questions. Why is tonight different than any other night? And there's these answers. And that's a way to get people to participate. But then we go into the second cup, which is very, very interesting. The second cup, which is the cup of plagues. I love this part because when you do this cup, you pour your wine in. After you pour the wine in, you take it and you dip your finger in and you take from your cup every time you mention one of the plagues. So you'll say like frogs, you take out wine, gnats, you take out wine, blood. And why do we do this? Because we are, every time we celebrate a victory that God is giving to us, we need to remember the suffering of other people. The Jewish people's victory was brought about by the suffering other people suffered. Now, I have taught that I don't believe they needed to suffer. I believe that if they actually listened to the warnings of Moses, I think everyone had the same opportunity. I believe that what Moses gave was publicly declared and people had that opportunity. But we know that people suffered. And so what God commands them is take from your cup some of your joy, some of your joy. Let's eat in all of our celebrations. Let's remember when other people have had to suffer. And so that's an important part of that cup is that we, it, it is, it is God's uh, deliverance of us. It is the cup of deliverance, but it was, we were delivered through plagues. So let's not forget that part of it. Um, at, at that point, uh, we sing the Dayenu, which the Dayenu is just this fun song that goes, it would have been enough if God had done this for me. It would have been enough if God had just brought us, you know, uh, visited us. It would have been enough if God had taken us out uh, of Egypt, but not delivered us to the Red Sea. It would have been enough. 
if God had delivered us through the Red Sea, but not, you know, destroyed our enemies, it would have been enough. And it's this remembrance that whatever God does for us, we need to take a step and remember it would have been enough and be appreciative. I will say real quick, I will say yeah. that I particularly like that song because because you, while you're being grateful and I, and remembering of being thankful, you're also being very humble at the same time. And very I think much. it's a really good balance of them both through that song. So I really like that song. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really important part of the Seder, even though it's a fun song. Die, die, ain't no, die. It's fun. We like to actually read it and then we'll sing it because it is so significant. At that point, you do go into having a festive dinner and it, it's, you know, you can eat whatever you want, but this is what, this is where I want to get to. So after the dinner, you have in Matthew chapter 26, uh, verses 26, it says, as they were eating, and some translation says after the meal, yeah. Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks to, uh, uh, giving thanks, saying, drink from uh, this. This is my blood of the new covenant, which was shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, this is what's so important. After the meal is where the afikomen is looked for. Now, remember I told you about that before, okay? Mm -hmm. The bread that's broken, right. wrapped in linen and hidden away. That is the bread that he took at the end of the meal and said, this is my body that was broken for you. The reason he says broken, because people say, well, it wasn't broken. He never broke any bones. Why did he say, well, this is my body's broken for you? Because he broke the bread, hid it away. Whenever we find it, we get a great reward. That reward is salvation. That's what he's talking about when he says, yes. this is my body, which was broken for you. That's the afikomen. After that, then he says, this is my blood, right? That wasn't just any cup. That wasn't just a random cup of wine. That was the third cup, which comes after the meal, always after the meal. And that is the cup of redemption. Yeah. He's using this cup of redemption to say, I am redeeming you. This is what my blood is for. It is for redemption. I have brought you out. I set you apart. I sanctified you. I have delivered you, but now I am redeeming you. So that wow. is what is so vital about bread and about wine and that Jesus established this in a Passover Seder. Now we have a couple more cups and we can wrap this up, but it is kind of interesting. The cup of Elijah, if you understand uh, that what they do is they pour a cup uh, for Elijah because they're expecting Elijah to come before the day of the Lord. So the Jewish people set a cup for him. Nobody drinks it. It's just poured and there's a place setting set for him. Um, and they, they actually, the kids go to the door and they knock on the door and you run to the door to see if Elijah is there. Now think about the scripture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. Now, okay. I want to go back to the Afikoman for a minute because the thing about the Afikoman, it's not just that you receive a reward if you find it. The rule is if you don't find it, if you don't find the afikomen, the meal cannot continue. See, the Jewish people are still in covenant with the Lord. They're still in covenant. But the meal, the fellowship, that moving on is what was not able to continue because they did not find until they find the afikomen and get that great reward. That meal cannot continue for them. If you remember, Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven, right? Yeah. He says that after the third cup, that means he did not have the fourth cup. What's interesting is the fourth cup is called the cup of praise um, or the cup of completion. It's referred to as the cup of restoration, the cup of completion, but also the cup of praise. Now think of this, the cup 
of praise goes with the, the hymn that is sung traditionally. They did not drink the wine, but I want you to know what is in this hymn that they sing. And it's in Psalms. It's known as the Halal and it's Psalms 115 through 118. I'm just going to read a couple of these for you. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. This was the song that Jesus sang with his disciples before going to the garden. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous enter. Uh, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Yeah. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. These are all the things that are sung with the cup of praise that these guys sang together before Jesus went to the garden. He was being encouraged through the Psalms. How much more do we need the word if the word himself was being encouraged through singing the word? before he went to the garden to be reminded he will live and not die. And I'm going to read this last one too, which is crazy. This is a part of it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a part of the halal. They sing, he has, God is the Lord. He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. That is a part of this Psalms that Jesus sang with his disciples, but he still didn't have that cup of praise. And I conclude this with sharing this with you. If you remember when he's on the cross, we talked about this early on. He's on the cross. And what is it? What is one of the last things he says? He says he thirsts, right? I thirst. They give him what? With hyssop, they give him sour wine. He tastes the wine. And what does he say after he drinks the wine? His finished. last words are, it is completed. Yeah. It is finished. It is finished. Mm -hmm. The very last act that he did was to worship, was to praise, to take the cup of praise while he's suffering, while he's dying, while he's bleeding. Praise is the last thing that he does. And when he praises, he says, it's done. It is finished. And in our battles of worship, I want to encourage people when it's hard, when you're battling, when you're struggling, when there's pain, if you get into a place of praise and you begin to worship God, you can step back and say, it's done because I worship God in the midst of this crisis. I worship God in the midst of this trial. He went through that last cup with worship. He went through the cross with praise. And that's one of the most beautiful parts of this Seder that I love. We always complete our Seder uh, singing uh, a, a worship song and being in a place of praise, no matter what we're going through. Do we have an excuse ever to not be in that same place of praise and worship? When you said the power of our worship, I can't believe that's the last thing that he did. Yeah. Because so many times, how many times is that the thing that the enemy attacks on us? Yeah is our worship, our praise. Yeah. When we don't want to say anything, we're so beaten down. We're so distraught that we can't get anything out. And yet, I mean, I just I don't know if you're feeling this, but everything you were saying, it's just got me so moved inside yeah. of the power of the worship and the yeah. praise. Yeah. Oh, so good, Jenny. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, when you see all these elements of the Seder, like I said, it's impossible to look at this and go, how, to not see Jesus in this. Every time you take communion, he said, every time you do this, 
do this in remembrance of me. We need to yeah. be thinking. And, and, and I think so often we're, we're just not, it's not a, a bad thing. We're, we're just not fully educated in our Hebrew roots so we can appreciate something to a certain degree. And we can, the Holy Spirit reveals so much to us that we can grasp. But then when we add to that, you know, we add to our faith and we add to our, the Bible talks about adding things. We start to have this, under, we add to our faith, our understanding. We go, oh my gosh, you can appreciate this so yes. much more. And so, I, you know, I just want to encourage people, um, you know, to go to a Passover Seder, go to the whole thing, let it sink in, get good at it and start doing it with your family. You might not be good at it the first time I wasn't, you know, we had to read the books and, and try to figure out what we're going through. But man, even if you just read a Jewish Passover Seder and it didn't even, wasn't even a messianic one, you could so see Messiah in the, in, in the Passover, in the Seder, um, because it's just so, so obviously there. I've taught them in church services, but I always encourage churches, if you're going to do one, do one as a dinner. Because as you can tell, there's a lot of info when you're just kind of giving it to people. But when you yeah. can sit at the meal and you can break the bread and you can wrap it up and you can partake it, it as we talked about earlier with, you know, our, our artist friend, um, when you get more involved, you can remember stuff more. So right. people aren't right. like, what was that thing again we did, you know? <laughs> Well, I have personally participated in, in Brian and Jenny's Seder, and it really, it, it just, just like we said with the artist earlier, it, it just elevates the story that we know and love, that story of Christ's sacrifice and redemption for our sins. It just takes that to a whole new elevated level and, de and depth of appreciation of what this beautiful story God was doing this whole time, yeah. you know, from the beginning of the Bible throughout the whole thing. Um, and so I could think of no other better way than to, to celebrate this uh, Easter weekend or, or, or Resurrection Sunday than to do that this week. So yeah. thank you, Jenny, for sharing that. And Can I give you one little last thing as a part oh, of this? Oh, yes. So Passover is a part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You can study that out in Leviticus, and that's the seven-day feast. Uh, into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have the Feast of First Fruits. Well, guess what day Jesus rose on? Was he rose on the Feast of First Fruits? And that's why the Bible talks about being the first fruit. I mean, everything was so specifically tied. And so it's really kind of neat when you see how all of those work together. So it's also, it's not just Resurrection Sunday, it's Feast of First Fruits as well. Well, with that, we want to wish everyone a very happy Resurrection Sunday or happy Easter as you celebrate and come back to us after and continue to talk about that story and all the good things God has done for you as we celebrate the fullness of life each and every day. We'll see you next time on The Full Life. <laughs>